Hello, and welcome to The Softer Side. I'm your life transitions coach, Shelley Carney. Let's design your life. Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice bring you The Softer Side, life transitions and relationship coaching. Join the live chat on YouTube every Wednesday and Friday at thesofterside.live. All right, so today's topic is we're going to be talking about the stress that's caused by waiting or the unknown. And usually we call that worry. Eckhart Tolle says, worry pretends to be necessary, but serves no useful purpose. So let's get into that. We're going to talk a little bit about indulgent emotions. And what does that mean? It means we wallow in them. We get stuck in them. And once we're stuck in them, we have a really difficult time moving forward. So uh, some of those emotions include the following doubt, worry, comfort, confusion, busyness, and exhaustion, and indecisiveness. So what do you feel about these particular emotions? Toby? Oh, is that a question for me? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, the indulgent emotions are, uh, I, I go back to the slide, didn't uh, Tolly say uh, they were a waste? Worry pretends to be necessary, but is is not. Yeah, yeah. I think that's how I feel about them. Uh, I don't wallow in them long. I do on occasion, like every human being, experience them, experience them because they're part of our emotions and, um, and we have a broad range of emotions, some of which uh, are good when they're long-lasting, love, for example, uh, some of which are not good or, or not good when they are long-lasting, and they, they include um, these lists. Mm-hmm. But my experience is that if you're a confident person, if you're a person of action, you don't wallow them uh, long uh, because they tend to trigger in some people some sense that something needs to be done. And if something needs to be done, there needs to be a plan. And if there needs to be a plan, somebody needs to write that plan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my, my personal experience is that, uh, although I'm sure there have been times in my life... Audio works. ...competing with myself. Um <laughs> That although, like like I said, every human being, I have experienced these in one way or the other, I don't experience them long mm-hmm. because they trigger, a, they're, they're one of those triggers, you know, um, like, I don't know, I don't want to use anger, anger is not a good one, but um, the uh, doubt and worry, you know, uh, for some people, uh, there's a certain amount of need, maybe even pleasure, in wallowing them. Wallowing mm-hmm. the word that you use, getting stuck in them. I don't. I don't feel that way. I don't get stuck in them. Um, that is not to say that I haven't doubted myself or haven't worried about things. Or, uh, but they're all triggers for me. So. Okay. Good. All right. Thinking and feeling. What do you think when you're told you have to wait? And how do you feel? And I put a picture of a child here because that's, I think, how a lot of us feel. We, we hearken back to the day when we wanted our mom or dad's attention right now. I don't want to wait. Or um, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? <laughs> and any of us who've been parents understand uh, the 
the feeling that that brings up when your child is, you know, mommy, 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 um, just hold on. <laughs> you need to wait. And we understand how the child feels when they're told to wait. But I'm excited now. I want to talk about it now. I want to experience it now. I don't want to wait. And I think a lot of us harbor that within us whenever we're told you're going to have to wait. How do you feel about waiting? Um, uh, uh, waiting to me wastes time. I mean, if you can be doing something again. This this is going to depend on the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a type A. I'm an action person. I know that you go to the VA. Yeah. And you often have to wait. Yes. What do you do when you're told you have to wait? I sit down and open up an audio book and I listen to it. Okay. So you plan ahead. Yeah. Uh, for instances when you know that you're going to be told you need to wait. Go to the emergency room at the VA and perhaps any hospital. And mm-hmm. if you're not prepared to wait, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> okay. you know you're what? going to experience waiting <laughs> and disappointment simultaneously. But I plan ahead. I take my uh, my uh, smartphone with me and my smartphone has my audible books uh, on there. And I just listen and relax to my audible books. I also have several, uh, because when I go to the dentist, uh, dentists just still, it's a, it's a, you know. Now let's use the, uh, the, the MV, MVD or whatever you call it uh, nowadays, motor vehicle department. Uh, I know you had to wait a long time there. Tell me about that and how you felt. Same thing. Uh, but what I discovered is that there's a new motor vehicle department office in Santa Fe that's outside of town that had been rumored to have a lower level of wait time. Mm-hmm. So I actually drove the 45 minutes from my house to Santa Fe to go to that one. And again, I brought my smartphone and uh, waited for my Audible, just listened to my Audible book and made progress. Either that or like you do, I take the podcasts mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. And I, <clears throat> knowing that I'm going to have to wait, I, I find some way to entertain myself. So I don't, I think I think what it does, maybe this is the, if if you're waiting, you have plenty of time to think about waiting. And that that gets you progressively, and I think that would increase the level of frustration, level of anger, because you think about it. Mm-hmm. I think if you distract yourself, first of all, you assume, I'm going to the hospital, mm-hmm. I'm going to the motor vehicle department, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to the uh, tax department, you know in advance you are going to wait in a line with a number, like if you're lucky. Right. Right. If you're lucky, you get a number. Right. Otherwise, you just have to wait for somebody to notice that you're there or make a list or something like that. So, so through the years, you've learned in these situations, I will be have I will have to wait, and I want to have something to fill my time productively while I'm waiting. So right. I prepare for that. To and that and that displaces the whatever other emotions you can feel, the frustration, sometimes the anger, you know, that's how you end up with people screaming in the motor vehicle department because they, they feel like they, do, they don't, they shouldn't have to wait. Mm-hmm. The nature of that beast is you will have to wait. Yeah. Do you feel as we've gotten older, we've gotten more patient or less so? I think... Uh, let's, let's use the example. Uh, you go to the airport expecting your flight to leave in one hour and now you've told... It's going to be three hours. And that's an unexpected wait now. Would you I, feel I, more patience or less I've spent so much patience? time in airports. <laughs> that, that, again, I've spent so much time in airports 
waiting for flights that were supposed to have left earlier than they did. Uh, that I've I've got I'm a, I've acclimated myself uh, to two things. Number one, um, I've got to find a way to entertain myself, and and sometimes that's just going across the terminal to the bar and start talking to strangers, you know, buy an amaretto on the rocks and start talking to strangers. Uh, but the other thing uh, that I've learned from that experience is that um, if, if, the, if it causes a delay, if, mm-hmm. it, if what you're experiencing is not only a delay in the flight, but in a, a delay in your plans, that gives you the opportunity to call the people that you've been planning with and say to them, uh, this flight is delayed. It's going to get in here. I'm going to get three hours sleep. I'm going to need, you know, et cetera, et cetera, so that you can modify. You've got time to modify those plans uh, as well. That hasn't happened that often. Generally speaking, there seems to be something about your return to home flights that are always delayed. Um, but uh, but again, uh, I've, I've spent so much time in the air and therefore airports that I've adjusted my thinking to them. So if you feel that suddenly you're told to wait, but you can maintain some control over what you do with your time during that waiting period, you feel like then you have more patience and uh, less stress. The, the moment, as long as you feel like you're in control of the situation, what, whatever you can control, you can't put the, the plane in the air but you can control what you do with yourself and how you feel about it and how you proceed from that point. And as long as I'm doing that, I've, you know, that, that act of, of taking action, uh, of being in control of my actions, it, it keeps me from the, the stress of experiencing the stress uh, that goes along with waiting at an airport or waiting at a DMV or waiting at the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't, I don't do, and the question you asked was, did I get better at that as I got older? The answer is yes, but it wasn't a factor of age. It was a factor of, I spent more time doing that as I got, you know, as you get older, you realize the DMV is an experience. You mm-hmm. prepare yourself. The hospital is an experience. Prepare yourself. You, your, your flight is going to be an experience. Prepare yourself for uh, uh, the worst. And, and honestly, I would rather have a de- delayed flight that fixes whatever's wrong with the aircraft, you know, right. than uh, jump on and have to come or back. Wait or wait for the weather to clear. Exactly. Right. Let's move forward. So when waiting equals worrying, worrying can make us feel powerless anxious, fearful, stressed, because we focus on the negative possibilities. So say you're waiting in the hospital for one of your daughters to have a baby and things are not going well. Now you've begun to worry. Um, how, how do you handle that situation? So, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not a religious person, so it's not like I start praying, right? Um, I, I assume that uh, my daughter and her husband have gotten the best possible medical medical care they can, um, and that again, I am powerless. I, I can't deliver a baby. I can't force the delivery. I can't, you know, I do my best, and uh, we've been very fortunate, and we haven't had those negative experiences, but. Um, I think as long as you prepare for the possibility, um, I told you uh, what happened this week, and um, 
I wasn't actually prepared for the possibility. I right. never thought about <laughs> it. Was it. But, uh, but it, every, it was a surprise mm-hmm. in, in a variety of ways. Uh, but uh, the only thing you can do at that point is uh, not react negatively to it, create as much empathy and solace as you can for the other person that's going through it. Um, because it's not me on the on the t- operating table. As right. a matter of fact, I, when I'm when I'm in an operating table, when I'm going into an operation, whatever it is, I'm always worried about the people. You know, like I, I'm going to go to sleep. They're going to do an operation. I'll come back out and I'll have a <laughs> right. funny little headache. You guys go home or do something. Yeah. I actually prefer that nobody hang around while I'm, you know, doing that because that just that gives him the opportunity to start imagining all the negative possibilities you know instead of now let's talk a little bit about somebody in janet's situation where her mother's in hospice and they're kind of just waiting for her to die because she they know once she's been in in hospice for this long she's not coming back out again Mm, she's waiting to die so how do you think is the best way to handle that sort of a situation that's that kind of stress or uh, well, I, I experienced a little bit of, of it with my mother because I was told that she had two weeks to live and she lived for another three years. That's, again, but she wasn't at hospice. No, she was not at hospice. She was at home, but I could go visit her and I could see the prog- progression of the deterioration, you right. know? Um, and when it happened, I knew within a couple of weeks that this was getting close. I didn't know how close it was. It was mm-hmm. closer than even I thought, but, um, the again, the only thing that you can do is provide an empathetic, uh, provide some sense of empathy. You know, I know Janet goes to visit her mother three or four times a week. Yeah. There's not much for her to be done. She basically sits there or she helps her with her whatever f- food liquids that they give her, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But she's in that limbo. She's right. But she, but she's in the limbo. I I I think she's past the limbo stage. Mm. She knows that her mother's passing is going to come and and come soon. And then she won't have anything to worry about. You know, it's kind of, you get to the point where you go like, I know this is going to happen. And then I, then I can go on with the rest of my life mm-hmm. because this is just a short, it's like, it's like having a broken bone, mm. right? And you're in a cast. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the cast, it feels like, oh my God, I can't do anything. Collarbones, <laughs> especially broken yeah. a lot of collarbones. And because you can't sleep in bed, you have to sleep sitting up, and it feels like, how am I ever going to get it? And then suddenly it's healed, and you're back to normal, and you can go back and go like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't so bad. That was just six weeks. And another reason we get to a place where we're more patient when we're older is because we've had those experiences where it seems like this is taking forever, and then when it's over, you can look back and say, okay, it seemed like forever, but right. it really wasn't. And I think that's the point. I think that's the past limbo point. The limbo point, I think, is when you go like, Ugh, what's going on? How long is this going to go on? And right. the, So I think she's past that. She knows that it's going to end. She knows that it's going to end, quote, soon, unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that because she's effectively retired, she can spend as much time as she needs to, uh, you know, with her mother getting her, she's more worried about her sister and how, how her sister mm-hmm. is going to mm-hmm. deal with all of this because she's not quite, her sister is not quite as prepared for all this. As, so do you uh, think it draws out the length of time that we have to spend in say mourning or grief or sadness when we're waiting for somebody in hospice to pass away? I don't, so I can only speak from personal experience. I don't know how others people, but I think 
the more empathetic or the, the less in limbo you are, the less of like, what's going to happen? You know, the more you are planning, she's going to die. Um, I'm going to have to make arrangements. There's going to be certain financial things that have to get you know, to get taken care of. And I think as long as you, you uh, prepare for that, th- there's always mourning. You're crazy. You're a little bit not human if you can't mourn. But there's years of mourning that are debilitating. Or there's, I don't know, 30 days of mourning plus getting stuff done. And I'm of the 30 days of mourning. As a matter of fact, I know, you know the story of when they asked me, that they had uh, that I had been up in the mountains and I didn't know my mother had passed away until I got to Española, when all the cell towers you know informed me, and uh, I got to the hospital and uh, my daughter Sean was there and she said they've uh, left your mother in the room so that you can visit with her. And I went into the room and I walked back out and Sean said what's wrong and I said that's not my mother, that's that's not the woman. Uh, you know, that I knew. Um, and, and so that was the extent. And, and it was uh, funny because Are Sean said... Are we still mourning? No, no, no. No, I just... Uh, it was just... Uh, uh, it was just because of the situation because uh, what was funny is Sean said, well, look, these people need to mourn. So yeah. just they can't walk away from it like you. And it wasn't that I was walking away from it. It was just that I, that one moment where they expected me to have some sort of interaction with. Mm-hmm. That's just not you. Yeah, that's yeah. just not me. So, uh, But uh, it went very quickly after that because I had prepared for all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the legal things and the financial things and all the things that had to be taken care of happened, happened quickly, much to everybody's chagrin because they thought it was going to take a lot of time mm. and, um, and it didn't. It, it was very quick. Okay. So we want to focus on the positive possibilities and we want to keep busy with being productive and feeling like we're doing the most that we can so that we're not feeling so powerless. Uh, so when things happen that cause us to wait for answers, such as medical tests, pregnancy, uh, career change, moving, raising your children, uh, and all the different phases they go through, or divorce, uh, we need to look at them as neutral. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Who knows? We don't know until it's in the past and we can look at it and see all the things that came from it. Uh, Sometimes uh, you might get fired from a job in your life and think it's a really horrible thing. And then you, you move on and you find an even better job and you realize, you know, this was a good thing in the end. Uh, But you didn't know that at the time. So we need to try to stay as neutral as we can. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, good thing, bad thing, who knows when it comes to the pregnancy of your last daughter, Toby Renee, when she was born. So it's funny because, uh, the, the, uh, so we had, I had six children. The last three, of course, with uh, my last wife, Laura. We had three girls, Ryan Marie, Erica Ray, and Toby Renee. And they had been healthy births, right? They, she had had, she was a strong, healthy woman, and she had had healthy births, and we had no, fam- neither of us had family histories of, of, of difficult childbirth, right? And 
Um, so we were moving along at the time and we were going through all the processes that one does in pregnancy. And at some point they were doing, they started their series of tests. And this was of course, 1989. So let's say it would have been, actually been 1988 because she was born in 19, February of 1989. Mm. And uh, so they were going through a series of tests uh, in the, with the uh, embryo. And at some point they took a test and uh, it was the test for spinal bifida. Spina bifida. Spina bifida. Mm-hmm. And it came back positive. And so we went to our doctor visit. We were sitting there and the doctor was informing us of the positive test, spinal bifida. And uh, I asked, what, what did that mean? And he described the kind of life a child with spinal bifida would have. Uh, and for lack of a better way to describe it, it would be difficult and short. Now, it turns out that since then, they found ways to keep those children living longer, but it's not an easy life. It's a difficult life, and, and they have to be, you know, in their own heads, they're, they're, they have to have the mentality necessary to carry them through. But at that time, it was, a de- it was perceived to be a debilitating disease. And so when he described the, the life of that child, that the child would experience, he described it, for lack of a better way, it would be short and difficult. And uh, so it put us in a position of having to make a decision about whether or not, uh, because we were, it was still before uh, uh, the uh, cutoff point for having an abortion, that, that was certainly an option. And um, he wanted, I, I had this feeling that he wanted an answer of some kind. No, we're going to go forward. No, we're going to have an abortion, et, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know what, let us go home. And, and Laura was just, just devastated. She started crying at the doctor's hospital, cried all the way home. And um, I got her to home and it was, it was, I got her home and it was the afternoon and I took her upstairs and I put her to bed. Let her just kind of sleep it off. And when I, when I was leaving the doctor, the nurse had handed me, a, maybe it was the doctor, had handed me a pamphlet on the test, spinal bifida and the testing that it does. And so I put Laura to bed and I went downstairs and I started reading this pamphlet and was going, it just got progressively more dramatically bad. I don't know how else to describe it because they were describing, you know, how it affected the child, how well they would be born, what would happen to them, what, et cetera, et cetera. And nothing sounded good. And then I got to the last page of the pamphlet and I was going down and, and it started describing the test. And I, I don't, the, the test had one of those scientific names associated with it. And so I started reading uh, the uh, the chapter associated with the description of the test. And I got to literally the last paragraph and it didn't say exactly, oh, by the way, it didn't say that, <laughs> but it's the equivalent of, you should also know that this test has a 2% accuracy rate. A 2% accuracy rate. That means it was right, either positive or negative, 2% of the time. The other 98% of the time, it was wrong. And uh, and I thought to myself, if I were to re- run my business with a 2% success rate or a 2% return rate or a 2% revenue rate, I wouldn't have a business, right? So um, I waited until later. I made dinner. And uh, because by this time, the kids were coming home from various things, whether it was school or after school activities. And... Um, and I made dinner, and then Laura came down, and, you know, her eyes were just swollen. And, um, and so we waited till after dinner, and we were in the den, and I started talking to her, and I basically said, we're going to go ahead and have this baby. 
And she said, oh, that was one of the options. One of the options was you could have the baby and have a chance in the form of spinal bifida. You could do an abortion or you could take the test a second time mm-hmm. just to make sure. And I said, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have this baby. And she said, well, are we going to take the test a second time? I said, no. She said, well, what if it's born? And I, sh- I showed her the paragraph. I said, uh, this test is right 2% of the time. Now, I'm sure between 1989 and 30 years later, 2019, they've improved the integrity of that test. So it's not right just 2% of the time. Uh, but we went ahead and, of course, you know, you've... Had the baby, and she was perfectly healthy, and all is well. And she's 30 years old. And so you have to stay neutral. You have to do your homework. You have to do your research. When you're told something like a medical um, uh, result, a medical test result, just try to take it neutrally for a while and put some research into it. Um, Give yourself some space and some time to digest the information and to find some answers before you jump into any decisions or before you jump into depression or angst or, you know, feeling horrible. Of course, Laura uh, being pregnant (laughs) and having pregnant hormones and being told there's a possibility your child will have a, a a birth defect. Of course she was devastated. Um, But Toby maintained uh, his, you know, neutrality, until he could research it and find out for sure what was going on. And I think that's an important lesson for everybody. And the lesson was, since then, any time I've been given a medical diagnosis of any kind, I've learned to ask those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. How accurate is that test? Mm -hmm. What effect is it going to have? What if I don't do it? You know, rather than just walking away and assuming that the doctor is giving you the best possible advice. A a doctor's... the, the best possible advice that doctor could have given me is the test showed positive, but this test is accurate 2% of the time. Right. It didn't give say that. Give me all the information. Right. <laughs> give me all the information so I can make a rational decision about yeah. what to do next. Yeah. And, uh, and keep in mind that a, a large number of people who are uh, injured or who die in this country is due to medical error. Now, doctors are doing the very best they can with the information they have, but they're not perfect, and we don't want to, you know, uh, freak out at everything they say. And, and I think that was <laughs> the thing that made me, not angry, but but bothered me the most was I thought started thinking to myself, how many children were not born mm. as a result of someone saying, uh, we've, the, the test turned out positive and your child, there's a chance your child is going to be born with spinal bifida without being told that the, t- the test has a 2% accuracy rate. Yeah. And they made decisions based on that. Yeah. So, yeah. so get all the information before you jump into anything. All right. So again, we can manage our thoughts. Our thoughts are our own choice, right? We can make a choice about what we think. So if the circumstance is waiting, waiting for anything, you can think a good or a bad outcome of the waiting, right? I'm waiting to hear about a loan. I'm waiting to hear if I'm pregnant or not. I'm waiting to hear from my daughter how she's doing. Whatever it is you're waiting on, you can choose the good or the bad outcome in your thinking, right? And then 
your feeling is going to be based on that thinking. So if you chose the good outcome, you're going to have confidence that it's going to be a good outcome. If you chose the bad outcome, you're going to be worrying. You're going to be indulging in that worry wheel, right? And what action does that lead to? Well, if you're looking at the good side, that it's going to be a good outcome, and I have confidence, you might do some research. You might get prepared for whatever you think might be coming your way. Um, Or if you think it's the worrisome outcome, then you might buffer. You might drink. You might eat too much. You might uh, watch a bunch of TV. Some way you're going to hide from life, right? that's buffering. And then the result is either you're going to be prepared for the outcome or you're going to be indecisive. I don't know what to do. So when you do finally get the information, you won't know what to do with that information. So it's best to look at the good side and be prepared. Redirect your thoughts. Just refuse to latch on to worry and negative thoughts. They'll pass through your mind constantly. You don't need to attach yourself to them. Wait for the good thoughts and jump on that train instead. Write down all of your thoughts and circle the positive possibilities. So if you think, you know, it could be this bad thing or it could be this good thing, circle all the good things and then focus on those. Practice thinking those positive thoughts. Then take positive action to reinforce your positive feelings so that you get that cycle of positivity going. Uh, Just like when Toby knows that something is, he's going to have to wait, he prepares for that. And so he doesn't get anxious, he doesn't get worried, and he doesn't uh, get angry because he has to wait. He's prepared. And we should all try to do the same. Now let's talk a little bit about the unknown. When I was doing my survey, which you guys will see the link in the description box below this video. If you would haven't done this survey yet, it's just that one big question of uh, what causes you stress in a transition. And many people said the unknown, not knowing what's next. That's what causes them stress. So I want to focus a little bit about the unknown and the stress that it causes us. Human beings want to feel comfortable comfort. We want to feel comfortable. We want to feel pleasure. Uh, We seek these things. We want to be away from pain and towards comfort and pleasure. But then you have to ask yourself, am I comfortable because this is a familiar situation? Just like that job that I talked about, the person got fired from and then they found an even better job. They didn't go and look for another job because they were in a familiar situation, they felt comfortable. Whether or not they liked the job, they were familiar with it and they felt comfortable there. They knew where they, what they were doing and they may have been bored to tears. They may not have enjoyed the job, but they knew what they were doing. It was familiar. So that's that comfort level. But we have to ask ourselves, do we indulge in pleasure and comfort at the expense of what we truly want to create in our lives? Are we so afraid of the unknown and going outside of our comfort zone that we just won't even try. So what is the known? What do you believe and truly know about yourself? Well, I know that I'm pretty smart. I can figure things out if I'm given enough time and information. Um, I know that I'm a hard worker. You know, I know certain things about myself. I know that I care about people. I know that um, I could usually come up with an answer if Um, like I said, if I'm given enough time and information. So how does it make you feel 
to believe the things that you believe about yourself? Does it serve you? Does it make you feel good? Is it positive? These are the things that we want to ask ourselves. Just because something is known doesn't make it true, right? So if I know that um, I'm not good at my job or I always make these kinds of mistakes or whatever it is I know about myself, but it's not positive, then maybe it isn't true. Maybe it's just something that uh, I came to believe because I made a few mistakes in, in my past. So I'm going to take a look at those things. Saying I don't know in a way where it creates confusion isn't helpful and it blocks progress. So if somebody were to ask you, what is your purpose in life? Would your first answer be, I don't know? Or would you try to come up with an answer? Uh, If somebody were to ask you, what is your biggest goal that you want to achieve in your life? Would you say, I don't know? Or would you say, I don't, uh, let me, let me think about that. If I said to you, uh, what's your biggest goal and how are you going to get there? Would you say, I don't know? Okay, remember, I don't know is going to block your progress. So what we want to learn to say instead of I don't know is I'm learning about that. I'm figuring it out. I'm researching it. I don't understand it yet, but I'm working on it. So don't block yourself by saying I don't know or I'm confused. Access your inner wisdom instead. Let me ask you the same question. If I said, what is your purpose in life? And you said, I don't know. And then I would say to you, if you did know, what would the answer be? And that kind of gives you that opening to push aside the I don't know and dig a little deeper. What if you didn't allow yourself to be confused by things? What if you told yourself, I know what I want to do and you believed it? How would your life be different? Let's remove the negative blocks. All progress starts with the truth. When you do not indulge in wasteful thoughts and feelings, the ones we talked about earlier, you will open up space that will be filled with wisdom, answers, and truth. I find that really exciting. The moment we let go of fear and doubt and worry and indecisiveness and all of those indulgent emotions, we open up a space that can then fill in with wisdom, answers, and truth. We have to build the bridge as we cross it. That's called change, right? And it's a little scary. Have you ever thought about uh, seeing an ex- uh, one of those suspension bridges and thought, how did they build that? Who went across first? And how did they, how did they cross that, that water or that space in the gorge? How did they cross it first? How did they build this bridge? And then think about your own transition. If you're moving from, say, a fully employed to retired or working in corporate to starting your own business or uh, any sort of transition, there's a huge change involved. And that requires that you build the bridge as you cross it. So if you're answering life-changing questions with, I don't know, ask yourself, what are you afraid to know? Live in the unknown long enough and you start to know it. So that's building the bridge while you cross it.
So instead of saying, I don't know, start with, here's what I know for sure, or here's what I've tried so far. Somebody asked me, how are you going to sign 10 new clients next month? And I would say, I don't know. Instead of saying that, I could say, well, here's what I've tried so far. And here's what I know for sure. And then that opens me up to allow that wisdom to come in, the inner wisdom to come in and say, here's an idea. How about I try this? Here's something new I haven't done yet. Or I might open up into the universe so that somebody can come to me with an idea that might work. But you got to open that space up for it. Decisions are better than no decisions. So being in that indecisive, uh, on the fence, I don't know which way to go, it's, uh, it's going to drive you crazy, it's going to stress you out, and it's going to stress out the people around you as well. The moment you decide on the next action you'll take is the moment you will begin to know how to do it, right? There's so many things that I want to do, but I don't know how I'm going to do them. But the moment I decide to start, that's the moment that I'll know the next action to take. So here's my recommendations. Redirect your worrying into positive thoughts. Just like a little child that you have to redirect because they're running in circles around you. Mommy, 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 mommy. Let's go do this. <laughs> you know, you want to redirect their attention to something a little more productive. Hey, here's a coloring book. <laughs> um, so redirect those worrying little hamster wheel thoughts into positive, productive thoughts. Replace, I don't know, with here's what I do know. And make decisions from a place of confidence, not from a place of worry or anxiety, but from a place of confidence. Here's what I know. Here's what I can do. Here's what I've decided. Now let's take action. Also, reach out to The Softer Side by joining The Softer Side member vault at esofterside.com. Join our Facebook group. Just look for The Softer Side on Facebook. Uh, look for our podcast uh, on Anchor FM, Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. And write to me at thesofterside.info at gmail.com. Our Brilliant Advisory Monthly Mastermind is coming up on Tuesday. If you have not taken the survey yet, there's a question down in the description box below, along with a link where you can go take the very, very short survey. And then uh, you'll be invited to join us on our mastermind, which our first one is Tuesday. So I'm looking forward to that, and I hope to see you there. In the live chat Q&A room, we hope that you can uh, go ahead and answer this question for us. What are your challenges when it comes to waiting or dealing with the unknown? And we're going to open up the phone lines and see what everybody in the chat room has been uh, talking about. And while we do that, I want to say hello to our friends in the Facebook room, including Matt Peterson, Aaron Mastriani, and Sean Martinez. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for being here today. So who do we have in the YouTube chat room? Uh, in the YouTube chat room, we have uh, Huli, Lucy Hotnet, uh, who I think is also I Love Lucy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they're just greeting each other. Let's see. Uh, K-Pro's in the room, says, awesome. I hate waiting as an adult. We have long-term <laughs> planning, and I usually am not optimistic in that area. Yeah, I know it is... Uh, um, 
one hour of waiting is is worse than a month or a year. Yeah, if you're it, if uh, if you find yourself worrying about something for a year, uh, there's a there's a decision that has to be made at that point, right? There, there's you you can't health with health worry about something for a year. Uh, Huli says a cocktail and snacks with good. Uh, yeah, they were kind of. Um, <laughs> What's that? I don't know. Cocktail and snacks will help uh, you. The oh, weight oh go no, faster. they're talking about uh, <laughs> worry in airports. Such yeah. waste of time in airports. They always have That's a bar. True. Cocktail and snacks with good conversation. I think is what you meant. Yeah, that does make the time go by more quickly. Uh, I do. If I if I don't have something that uh, that's my fallback position is to uh, go to the bar and start a conversation with a complete stranger and start asking questions. So. Um, yeah, but he's an extrovert, so he gets his energy from other people like yeah. that. Delta had an 18-hour delay yesterday. <laughs> oh, boy. 18 hours. That's yeah. crazy. So uh, Capro says, Southwest is fantastic with customer service. When I travel for personal, okay, with connections, they are the best. So that's Very a good, good. I'm sure Kevin good will be happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, Capro said, Toby said what happened this week. Uh, so um, I don't know whether you guys were aware, but about a month ago, my Boca Raton daughter uh, let me know that they were Pregnant, uh, second time, their, their second baby. I think about a week ago, actually. Has it been that Only short? Only about a week ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, uh, my her older sister uh, called me to let me know that they had she had gotten pregnant at about the same time, but that she had had uh, an early onset miscarriage. And so uh, I spent a long time on the phone with her. Uh, it, it wasn't in counseling, just kind of, empathy and talking it through with her. And uh, she was the one reminded me that it was Rainbow Baby Day, which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> and it turns I out didn't that either. Rainbow Baby Day is the day you celebrate the birth of the baby that comes after your miscarriage, mm. you know, this, the, the baby that's born after that. So she was al- already looking forward. They're going to, you know, sit back and they've got a, the summer to think about. Uh, there's a lot of things happening, as you well know, over the next couple of months, Emily, she's she's going to, you know, uh, Erica, uh, Ryan's going to be here. Toby's going to be here in September. Ryan's going to be here in October. And then I'll be out there in November. So there's a lot of family things so going on. So sometimes waiting for the good things to happen yeah. can be... Uh, and, <laughs> that anticipation is almost as fun as the actual event. And part of the distraction, if you will, from the negative things that happen in life are finding, as you said, the things that are positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, being with family for us, family get-togethers are a very positive thing. And right. you can start and looking forward like to Including like a wake that happens after a funeral. Uh, it's, the funeral is very sad. And the wake seems to be a time when people connect, support each other, and start to live lift up out of that depression a little bit. Yeah. So Capro makes a good point. There's a, there's a, a challenges with uh, deaths of parents, sometimes when they die quickly and you don't get to say goodbye. Uh, other times when they're in hospice like Janet's uh, mm-hmm. mother is and you've all, all you can think about is how am I going to say goodbye, you know. Um, sometimes <clears throat> it, the, the waiting for it to happen is mm-hmm. harder, uh, but... Uh, then, then the morning should take care of that, right? The challenge I had with my father is not only was it a surprise, but they didn't let us share in the uh, the 
the mourning process. Right. And so there was a right. lot of, no I think closure. that's where, yeah, we had a lot of anger as children and all of that. So Capro says a gypsy's kiss because she doesn't know where the softer side here, I guess. <laughs> uh, she says, but when you are the only one supporting your family, you have to worry, make sure the risks are not too big. Can you speak to that? Mm. Okay. So uh, worry is the indulgent uh, emotion. So we don't want to spend a lot of time in worry because worry isn't productive, right? What we can do instead is have, if that is what motivates you, you need to look for an emotion that's going to motivate you forward to be productive, to help you prepare, uh, to help you prepare your family. Uh, so look for what emotion would help me be motivated to do that. And then once you've decided on that emotion, then you look for the thought that's going to give you that emotion, right? Because your emotions and feelings come from your thoughts. So uh, you sometimes just have to work it backwards a little bit. And if what you need, the result that you need is to prepare your family or to uh, whatever it is you need for them, put that in your result line and then work your way backward. Okay, so if I need this result, what action is required? And if I need that action, what feeling is required to motivate me to do that? And if I need that feeling, what thoughts are going to help me get to that feeling? So I'm going to go back to that list that you started mm-hmm. right here. This was on the, I'm going to, I'm going to transition because I do have a comment on this. Okay. And uh, when, uh, when Shelly first described this slide, she asked me, you know, how do you, how do you deal with those things? These are the things, doubt, worry, uh, confusion, uh, exhaustion, indecisiveness. Th- those, those indulgent emotions are my triggers, they're the things that tell me I have to do something. Uh, I have to take some kind of action. And with the action, as, as uh, and I'm addressing something that uh, K-Pro brought up, Christy brought up, let me go back to where we were. Um, uh, with the action, there's always <laughs> risk associated with that. Oops, we're not gonna, I want, let me go back to the full screen. First. Well, there's the thought model though. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, so when I'm starting to experience those indulgent feelings, especially worry, uh, then I know it's time to take action. And with action always comes risk. And uh, as I got older, uh, the risk model shifted. So, you know, in my younger days, the risk model was 50-50, sometimes 60-40 chance of failure versus chance of success. But as I got older and more experienced, uh, as I decided to take action, I also learned to build out a plan. And the plan, what planning does, what building out the plan does, is reduces uh, the risk. Uh, so, but if you don't do that, if you go from worry to some kind of some kind of response rather than action, then you increase the risk. If you go from worry to identifying possibilities to planning and then to action, you reduce the risk. And and the other advantage of sitting down and instead of worrying about things, making out a plan, doing sitting down, making the plan, re- effectively reducing the risk, and then uh, taking the action based on that plan, 
you stop worrying. You, the, 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 you're doing things, and doing things is always uh, uh, positive in my case. So as long as I'm doing something based on a plan, I can move forward and feel good about uh, what's going to happen, and at the same time reduce the risk associated with that. And and I did that as a parent. You know, I'm 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 a parent now, but I'm a I'm a, a empty nester. All my children are grown out of college on their own. Five of the six of them are married, and uh, the last one has a what I would think of as almost a married relationship. Uh, but um, so the the worries that come with raising a family have changed now. And and the other thing is when they're experiencing the kind of things that my daughter Ryan experienced this week, it's not my worry anymore. I can empathize. I can feel for her. But there's nothing I can do. They can, she can take action. She's going to talk to her doctor and see what, differences there are or what other impacts that she has. And I'm sure they're going to try again to have another baby. She's already got two healthy babies. She really doesn't need to uh, if she doesn't want to. But, you know, uh, I think uh, we're, we seem to have big families. That's kind of how it is. So did that answer your question, Christy? Again, change the thought if, if you need to to a bridge thought, which could be instead of, you know, I, I can't think a positive thing. I can't think a positive outcome for this. Uh, just use a bridge of what is possible. What good thing is possible that could come from this? And then try to believe in the possibility uh, first and then move your way towards the positive outcome. Um, as you move towards those positive thoughts, you'll become more motivated to take positive action. Oh, uh, so they're talking about Lucy's uh, uh, Lucy's uh, job situation. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are not. Uh, we don't have any questions. Okay. Well, the phone lines are open. If anybody would like to give us a call and talk about this topic or anything related to improving your life, now's a good time. Uh, but. Uh, while we are talking about what's coming up for the next week, we can leave the phone lines open. So if you'd like to call us, 866-597-9901. And we're going to take a look at what's coming up next week. So, of course, on Monday, I will be releasing a Storytime Therapy video. I'm going to be talking about believing. Uh, the story is the businessman who believed. So that's going to be fun. So look for that on Monday at 4 o'clock. And then on Wednesday at 4 o'clock, we're going to talk about useful emotions that feel good or uncomfortable. We're good, but they're still useful. So we're going to focus on useful emotions and how to create those useful emotions with our thoughts. So look forward to that on Wednesday. On Friday of next week, I will be traveling, but we are going to have another... Um, Storytime Therapy video come out on Friday, and that's the Friday before Labor Day weekend, uh, so next weekend, so that's the whole week, but also on Tuesday is our brilliant advisory monthly mastermind first Zoom call. If you are on my uh, 
list of people who have signed up with the softer side, you will get an invitation that day to join in the Zoom call. Go ahead and make sure you have the Zoom app either on your phone or computer, along with a webcam, or if it's a laptop, you know, you have your little um, camera on your laptop that works. And uh, we'll be talking with people face-to-face online Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock Mountain Time, just discussing that question that I've been asking everybody all month about the stress that comes with transitions and what is that like for you so that I can hear back from you. So often you get to hear from me, but I don't get to hear from you. So Tuesday's your chance to let me hear your voice, and I'm looking forward to that. So... um Kpro had another question. She okay. said, uh, um, "Question above the question above. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Question above about women and men worrying differently. I don't know. Let me see. Um, so, do women worry differently than men? No, but individuals." worry differently than other individuals and usually the way that we're brought up. My husband, Kevin, worries a lot more than I do. Uh, if the kids were out late, he would be the one up worrying and, and, and not being able to sleep and I'd be out sleeping. But then again, I knew that he was taking care of things. So I had that uh, is, you know, my, I could easily go to sleep because yeah, he's taking care of things. So I don't need to be awake for it. Um, but I think Kevin is always worried more about anything and everything than I have. It's just our levels of, you know, uh, our thoughts and our thought management and, and um, you know, our control of situations and that sort of thing. So I don't think it's a man-woman thing so much as it is just an individual thing and, and how you were brought up. I think it's a uh, personality trait. So uh, we've, you know, you can divide the world into men and women, but one of the ways we divide, the, I divide the world into, is what I call head people or heart people. Either they're either the sentient or rational, and um, and uh, the rational person is dominant. It doesn't mean you're not sentient at all, but you're primarily rational. And uh, to me, rational people, the the, the 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 head people worry less than the heart people. I think hard people worry. I think it's part of their uh, nature uh, to be able to do that, uh, not because because it's an emotion, and they're very much tied to their emotions. So I don't know. Is Kevin a hard person or a head person? Well, what do you think? Um, uh, I think he's a hard person. I think he's a hard person. Yeah. 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 But he can be a head person if it's needed. Well, no, no, no. That uh, and when you are that sentient, rational uh, combination is it's uh, nobody's ever fifty-fifty. You're primarily sentient with a little bit of rational, or vice versa. Uh, we know the members of our family, for example. I can I'm a head person. Mm-hmm. I can name the children that are head people, and I can name the children that are art people. But we're also and, very non-dramatic. We don't get all caught up in our emotions. We you know we we think things through. Yeah. So, you know, I guess we have good thought management, and I think that can be learned by anybody. And I think it's uh, beneficial because it can help you to reduce your worrying and your anxiety when you can manage your thoughts. Uh, Most important thing is to be aware of what you're thinking, write it down, pick out the positive stuff, and focus on that. 
I was trying to think about, but I, I don't. I didn't know my father long enough to know. I think he was a heart person, but I think my mother, based on the time, you know, I think she was a head person. She was very rational. And your partner worries more or less. How do you support but not dwell in the negative? Not sure if it makes sense. When your partner worries more or less, how do you support but not dwell on the negative? Not sure mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I think um, if... And like when you talked about Laura and she was very upset and worried and what did you do? You were very logical. You explained things. And when it was necessary, you took the reins and you said, I got this, right? I got this. You can relax. You can catch your breath. And when you're ready to join me, then join me. You know, uh, and just just have that open conversation with them that you say, you know, um, I can see that you are worried about this. Um, would you like to talk about it? Would you like to explore what you're thinking and feeling? Just have that open conversation. But the other thing that I found out about that kind of situation is to show empathy, empathy and uh, get into the conversation rather than saying there are times there are times where I can say to someone I'll take care of it. Times like that where it's a worry and and that's the you know we're going to have a party on Saturday and I haven't gotten anything done comfortably you can say I'll take care of it. Yeah. Uh, it, there right, are times this, this and this right. and you're like oh phew yeah I just freed up a whole bunch of time. For uh, me. There are times where you, the response can't be I'll take care of it. The response has to be more empathetic and more uh, thoughtful. You know, what is it that they, because what they don't need at that point is I'll take care of it, right? Or the, your, your, your spinal bifida test came out positive. That's not an I'll take care of it <laughs> no, kind of situation, of right? Yeah, right. But you can say. But you can still be the strong person and take care of everything else. Yeah. So that she can focus on that one thing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and and so you and and then you can say, well, let me take a look at it because that's the most you can do right at that point. Let me just let me just see, and then we'll we'll give the doctor a decision in the next couple of days or so. Mm -hmm. So, yep, I'm glad you know we didn't have to make that decision. So yeah. it was. A... So I hope that helped. Did we have any other questions? No. Uh, let's see. Did they're uh, talking in the room? Um, 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 uh, let's see. No, no more questions. Okay. So yeah, being supportive um, by saying, you know what, I know you're worried about this one thing. Why don't I take care of everything else so that you can focus on that? Uh, that can be very helpful. Uh, then they can be more focused and they not, you know, don't have all these peripheral worries. They can only you know, focus on that one thing, and then they can start to one figure out what it is they can do about that one thing, because they don't have to worry about all the peripheral stuff. And I think it's important to realize that because you may be an action person like me, sometimes they don't need action, they just need empathy. They need a shoulder, they need someone to talk to, uh, rather than somebody be and, and that was something I had to learn, that not everything required immediate action, you know, regardless of what the, what the risk model was. Uh, sometimes it was just listening and uh, getting them through it uh, uh, for themselves. Right, and letting them have uh, a sounding board. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think of myself as an empathetic person. I had to learn to become an empathetic person. Uh, 
and that was part of my growth, you know, part, part of becoming a better person uh, because I was an action person, you know. I'll take care of it. <laughs> but uh, sometimes that's not what they want. Sometimes they just want to talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today for all your questions and, and comments. And for The Softer Side, I'm your Life Transitions Coach, Shelley Carney. Thank you for listening to The Softer Side with Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Please write to us with questions or ideas for future shows at thesofterside.info at gmail.com and visit the free member vault for more great tips and ideas at eSofterside.com.